0: This is Anthony Pascal.
1: And this is Laurie Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. This week, we are reviewing the season two finale of Lower Decks, which is kind of crazy to think about. But talking about crazy things to think about, we have news first. And the first thing I found overwhelming today, which was Captain Kirk, William Shatner, has gone into space briefly. So we were all kind of watching at the same time. I mean, watching live, right, Tony?
0: Yeah, they went up and back down. He was in space for 11 minutes or he was weightless for three minutes or so. And (laughs) it was really exciting. It went off without a hitch. All this technology is just amazing that they could do this now.
1: Oh yeah, no, I was like applauding. Like I was by myself watching. I was applauding. And I, I mean, I will not deny that I was in tears a couple of times just because it was like my hero since I was a little kid. And there he is in space. It was like all the weight of all this, like, everything that I've thought about Star Trek. And there he was up there. And when he came down and he said what he had to say, I mean, I I got teary again. And I was like, wow, I chose my heroes well.
0: He seemed to have had a profound experience like he gets off so it's four people and he gets off and starts immediately talking about you know the majesty of it and you know and how it was all blue and it went to black and how everyone needs to experience it and the other three people are just hooping and hollering i guess it affects different people different ways but he had like a profound religious experience and i think the rest of them it was like an extreme sports experience which it kind of is yeah
1: like a thrill seekers high is what they seem to have and I think he was just so overwhelmed by it and so moved by it. And the things that he said, like, I love that he said that, I hope I never recover from this. I hope I can maintain what I feel now. I don't want to lose it. I mean, it was, I think, you know, I it's funny to say life-changing for somebody who's 90, but why not?
0: And you could see it in the, they released video of the time that he was in, they were all in zero G and the same thing was kind of happening where they, they were a lot more boisterous and he was just kind of looking out the window, taking it all in and saying very short things about the moment. And uh, no, it was, it was pretty amazing. And what's what's also amazing is how I – mean, I know this is going to sound corny, but it was, it was a moment for the world to come together. I mean everyone was talking about it. It was the number one trending story all around the world – You know, people were sending me images of, you know, Twitter from Germany and Twitter (laughs) from Argentina. And it was all, you know, Star Trek, Captain Kirk. Everyone was talking about it everywhere.
1: I'll tell you, I was getting nonstop texts from my mother-in-law who was watching the whole thing and kept telling me stuff as if maybe she was worried I wasn't watching. Like, he just said this. He just did this. So, you know, she's the one who says things like, um, it's somewhere on the internet if you ask her where something is. So, but she was texting me the whole time. I mean, it's just, it was, it was a huge event. And, and now he's the oldest person ever to go to space, which is impressive.
0: Um, I feel a little bad for Wally Funk who went up in July. She's um, (laughs) 80, she's 86, right? And she was the oldest person in space for a few months. but She's pretty cool though. So I'm, I'm sure she's cool with it, but uh Still. Yeah. No, it, it, hats off to Blue Origin. They pulled it off really well and they certainly got a lot of poke because this is their second time up with humans. And if, you know, if it was just four paying passengers, they certainly wouldn't have gotten this kind of coverage. It's hard not
1: to be excited that Captain Kirk is going to space. It doesn't matter who you are. I think it's hard not to be
0: excited about it. There was a poetry to the whole thing. Yeah. Hopefully, because originally this, this idea came from the guy behind um, that TV show he made. Is
1: it the Better Late Than Never show?
0: Right, that show. So yeah. this is, and, and you know he's made a lot of documentaries and nonfiction TV shows. And I think this may still end up in some kind of thing like that. Hopefully, you'll see more of Shatner getting profound before, during, and after going into space.
1: You know, I know he's, like, known for being, like, boisterous and doing his thing. But he's actually a very thoughtful and articulate person. And so I really wanted to hear everything that he had to say, which is, you know, it's out there. It's on our site now, too. And I, I actually keep thinking, like, I wish someone – I hope he's still talking to cameras – Because I want to know what he has to say later today. And I want to know what he has to say tomorrow when he wakes up. Like, I feel like this is going to affect him in a, has already affected him in a profound way and will continue to do so.
0: So let's do another follow-up, which is for the third week we're talking about this possible strike. It's hard to tell with these things because they don't leak a lot. But the union has basically said to the producers, you've got until Monday or we go on strike. And from what we can tell, this strike would be, huge it would just shut everything down
1: it's major
0: so hopefully it doesn't happen but if it does then it's definitely going to have an impact on star trek in 2022 if it goes on for longer than a couple months for sure
1: it'll affect this timeline (laughs) that's for sure
0: (laughs) let's go back to a a big topic from our last podcast which is new york comic-con
1: right because it actually happened it was pretty busy I looked at pictures of those crowds. I opted not to go in for it, and we did the virtual version. But uh, it looked pretty packed and fun. They had a big, gorgeous uh, Prodigy setup that would have been fun to go to.
0: Yeah, you could sit in a captain's chair, and you can get a customized Prodigy t-shirt. So, yeah, the, the Paramount Plus booth was basically all Prodigy all the time. Even though they went there with panels from Discovery and Prodigy, the booth experience was all about Prodigy. Right. For Prodigy, they also showed the first two episodes, which are the same thing that's going to air on October 28th.
1: And we've seen it and we can't say anything about it, but I think we can say kind of top level. First of all, nobody's going to be disappointed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think it is going to really work for Star Trek fans, even though certainly this early in the season, and we're going to get into they talk about this in the panel, but they aren't going out of their way to Star Trekify this thing up a lot, but it's a compelling story. Yes. Um, It's the characters are all immediately likable and interesting. And they're, you know, they all have moments of lightness to them, which I was worried that it would just, there'd be like serious characters and funny characters, but they all have a good balance to them. Um, The bad guys are suitably evil, you know, so I, I really liked it. I think young people are going to like it. And it just it's beautiful.
1: Yeah, it is gorgeous to look at. So and I think it's going to, you know, a lot of what they talked about in the panel was about having it, seeing it. They see it as a kid's show, but they also see it as an entry point into Star Trek for people who haven't been there before and for people. So they don't feel like they have to catch up on anything or know anything. They can just walk into it and be introduced as the as the kids are learning about sort of the Federation and the world that Star Trek takes place in, even though they're living in it. um, It will be introducing the audience to it at the same time.
0: That's one of the reasons why it starts in the Delta Quadrant where you're kind of starting remotely from star trek if you think of the federation the alpha quadrant is kind of core star trek and you're kind of literally moving towards it on the show and you'll learn more and more about star trek as they get closer and closer to home and in the panel they explicitly said that's you know how the show is designed it's kind of a you know, drip feed of Star Trek where you're going to be getting more and more of it. But the tone is still right and the optimism is still right. I think these guys really get Star Trek. Of course, when you talk to them, they always talk about how much they love Star Trek. I'm talking about the Hageman brothers. They're especially enamored with the movies, Star Trek movies.
1: Which comes across when you see anything. I mean, you know, there's a clip that everybody can see and there's a trailer. And you you can just tell. That, you know, like it is very cinematic. Everything feels big. They dropped some big news at the panel, too, about cast. So that was exciting because, in addition to the cast that we already know about, they had four big names. I mean, we knew that Robert Beltran was going to be back as Chicote because he said it in Vegas. But the other news is that we have David Diggs, who you probably know from Hamilton, who's playing an Andorian called Commander Tysus, Jamila Jamil. My heart is beating because I love her so much uh, from The Good Place. And she's also hilarious. shes I mean, I have a lot of great things to say about her. She's Ensign Asensia, who's a Trill. And then Jason Alexander, Star Trek fan, Voyager guest star, Seinfeld star, is uh, Dr. Noom, a Tellarite.
0: When you hear that, it's obvious that, that they're the senior officers of a ship. So the obvious question is, what ship? Right? We know about the USS Protostar, and it's empty when right. they show up. So my two theories are it's one of two things. So were they the former crew of the Protostar? Okay. The other one is a little, it may be too on the nose, but I would say it's the, they're, they're the new Voyager crew. Oh. That Voyager is back out there doing Voyager things. Maybe heading back into the Delta Quadrant like they did in the books. In fact, Chicote was made captain in the books.
1: Oh, there you go. I haven't read them.
0: You know, but they could be some other ship, you know, (laughs) who knows, knows? but
1: they could be any ship. I I initially was like, maybe they're all holograms, but I don't think that's true.
0: I think it's a, I think it's a real, because we've heard them say that they will be touching on elements of the alpha quadrant and the beta quadrant. So this isn't like Voyager where they're just going to be lost for seven years and then come home. I think they are literally going to get closer. They are going to run into elements of the Federation as they get closer and I think this is one of those elements.
1: Well, we'll find out. But I'm excited because these are big names and and all great talent.
0: Um another thing they released, and I think I know why they released this. Oh yeah, so do I. This is a minor spoiler, but I think they mentioned this in the panel. There's v- not a lot of Janeway in the two-part pilot. So they released a kind of a nice scene that's not actually not in the pilot of the crew kind of for the first time really meeting Janeway and talking to Janeway. She says some interesting things that may clue into what's going on. I mean, what did you think of the scene?
1: I mean, I think the biggest thing she said was when she's describing herself, Hologram Janeway, she says she's a training advisor and she says, programmed to assist the Protostars crew on their journey back to Federation space. So somehow that ship was sent out there to bring somebody back?
0: She says she's able to maintain the Protostar's lower level functions, which explains why they don't need a whole crew. Right. So I, I guess Janeway is herself, like the multiple Rioses. She's doing multiple jobs. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know if we're going to see multiple Janeways around the ship. All of that might be kind of fun, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think it's going to happen. But I there- think it just means the ship's automated, basically. Right,
1: and she's there to offer advice too. So she will be offering counsel and advice i'm sure along the way but it raises a lot of questions about what again the same thing what is that ship doing there and we're not going to find out for a while
0: yeah the hageman brothers have said the ship is the season and the, the mystery behind the ship and why the um diviner wants it so badly is all what we'll learn through the season that's not a spoiler for the first couple episodes that has been what they've been saying in interviews etc yeah let's move on to disco
1: disco had a big panel too and a new trailer which was exciting to see i remember i was hoping for one and then we got one
0: the trailer was a lot like the last trailer i'm not sure we learned a lot because the last trailer kind of set up the season which is there's a big bad anomaly it's mean it's hurting people and they've got to stop it and uh the federation has a new president, and she's going to rally everyone together and send Michael to save the universe again. And there's some punching going on. There's a lot of punching going on.
1: And some and flying up, sticks. And flying up in the air.
0: And there was a whole lot more of all of that.
1: Right. I think what we got from this new trailer mostly was a lot of small details that are intriguing and interesting. So we know that there's a Ferengi and Starfleet, which, I mean, Nog was the first one, but. Um, I was, with different kind of makeup than we're used to seeing on the Frankie. I I didn't love it. I'm gonna be honest.
0: I don't know. When I looked, it's, the funny thing is, I remember going through it the first time I saw it and thinking, "Oh, that's interesting. A little extra detail. Looks really old, old. like the Grand Nagus." Yeah, but it's you know, it's so minor. It's basically the ears are a little droopy as opposed to rounded. Mm-hmm. But there was an online contingent that lost their shit over this. <laughs> there always is. <laughs> and this is a thousand years later. Maybe this maybe this particular Ferengi's mother, you know, has droopy ears. Who cares? I think the much more interesting character in the Federation is the president. Oh yeah. We did learn more about the president. We had suspected president character who's a woman was partially Cardassian, but we actually learned in the panel that the president is human, Cardassian, and Bajoran, which I think is kind of cool.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. I think Cardassians and Bajorans are great species to be looking at as we, you know, move into discovery. And I think that's pretty cool. I would like the idea of finding out more about what happened between them over time. It's fascinating.
0: And the president's name is Rillick, if that matters. <laughs> you know, what I think is kind of funny is like Michelle Paradise, we've joked about this before, you know, is someone who would never give up anything in an interrogation. It took Anthony Rapp to force this out of her because he's like, let's talk about Rillick. And she's like, well, OK, <laughs> now that you've said her name. And then she threw in the, you know, but she's already in the trailer um, and she mentioned the Bajoran human thing so
1: yeah and again i just i i don't understand why they're so jittery about information because we're just excited about it but we did get yes we saw we learned about her and we also saw that it looks like um navar is going to join the federation as well
0: which seemed like it was kind of headed that way at the end of season three so that makes sense you know and it'll help uh saru you know hook up with his new girl yeah it
1: looked like it was their hands touching there was like a moment yeah so that was fun and there's there was also a little snippet of our of our man david cronenberg um so we we knew he was back but uh i still really want to know i want to know if we're going to find out more about him
0: I now want to know nothing about him, but I want him to continue to do weird, mysterious things. (laughs) But I never want them to say, and he's in section three. Now it's like, it's like too late for you to tell us who he is. He just should just show up, do something mysterious, show that he kind of knows more than anyone else, and then leave. That's my new thing for him.
1: That's so funny. That's the opposite of the way you usually want things. That's not very Tony
0: like. I'm kind of over figuring out who he is. Now I want him to remain a mystery, but still do things and be cool and interesting and wear his goofy glasses and the whole bit.
1: I'm the opposite. Now I actually really want to know who he is. (laughs) We've switched places. Because at some
0: point they're like, he's going to be like, and I'm in charge of this thing called Section 31. And we'll be like, okay.
1: Well, I also very strongly don't want it to be Section 31. Yeah,
0: I well, actually so that's that, that's what I'm worried about is that it's just going to be that and it's going to be like, well, or to, even worse, it'll be like this thing called Section 32. You know, we <laughs> <it's> better
1: <laughs> if I listen, if I could have one Star Trek wish, it would be that we never hear about Section 31 again. Sorry, but Section 32. I maybe I can live with
0: <laughs> Burnham's mom's back. Uh, yep. And the Kuat Malat. They're all over this trailer. I think. They're a significant part. There's some people who think that maybe they're like the new Makos of the discovery that uh, there's a, that they bring a few of them on board. There's a number of scenes showing Kuat Malat fighting other kind of ninja like characters and they're all using hand to hand weapons. And like my crazy theory is maybe they go somewhere or do something where energy weapons don't work cuz you see Michael and Tilly and others with these swords and stuff and i think maybe they have to do something where they need this kind of hand to hand training there's a there's a scene where we see Owo doing boxing so yeah. there's so there's there's something going on there i don't know what it is but um there's something to do with the Coat as a sub-thread throughout the season, perhaps. We got a little bit of Tig Notaro, yep. Just one little shot. I know, Of her bit. being exasperated.
1: Right. Well, big surprise. I mean, and it's, you know, it's what we've been talking about because we know that, that she wasn't able, she wasn't there for a long time for filming. So as you've been saying all along, she probably just went and shot a bunch of those scenes and there probably won't be a lot of her integrated with the rest of the crew.
0: Yeah. So they they probably, like, shot a scene in December where the captain says something to, you know, the chief engineer, um, to Reno, and then they shot the Reno reaction shot from her station in May. And they'll, you know, stitch those together. Which is fine. Yeah. But you definitely hope that they were also able to do some scenes with her and and Anthony Rapp. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's what we want. It looks like there's a shot where they return to earth because there's something that looks a reflection or they they come on what looks like the earth's moon but it could be any moon but it it the way michael reacts to seeing it um it just feels like they could be going back to earth which may make sense because season three earth wasn't really part of the federation and we kind of want. i think the federation isn't the federation until they bring earth back into it right right
1: No, that makes sense. And a lot of the season will be about rebuilding the Federation. We got a little information about a few other things. I mean, one thing, they talked a little bit about that conflict between Stamets and Burnham at the end of the last season and seemed to indicate that it'll be touched on, but it's not going to be like a big explosive, like they don't talk to each other and then it turns into a big deal kind of thing.
0: It sounds like Stamets got bigger fish to fry because he's got to solve the whole problem. He's got to fix the universe. Right. And and then he's got kids now, you know? So he's he's busy.
1: And he's got a rival. He's got a rival for spore driving,
0: which is book That was funny. So someone asked him, you know, who's in charge of the ship? And it's obviously going to be a thing because there was this moment where Anthony Rapp like stands up and goes over to David Ajal and kind of stares him down. There's clearly a tension there. And we do see a, a tiny snippet. Of book in the spore chamber in distress actually
1: mm-hmm.
0: um if Stamets is in charge of solving the anomaly problem then why not have book in charge of flying the ship around i mean he's so precious about the ship yeah, yeah. Well, let it go man well move on
1: <laughs> i don't think that <laughs> i in a, guess he will eventually but yeah
0: in a, in a fine star trek tradition the captain also has lots of outfits i noticed in the trailer michael is seen in a whole bunch of different things she's got a regular uniform she's got a dress uniform she's got a tactical armor thing which is different than the one that everyone else gets she's got a space suit which is different than the one she's had before she's got some kind of leather outfit but i think it's like a captain leather outfit kind of like how picard got a special captain jacket remember she's got some civilian outfits She's got sleepwear, you know, they, they, they've really <laughs> yeah. given, giving her all sorts of stuff to wear.
1: I think so they've we, got budget. I think we'd clocked in the first season, we counted wardrobe changes for her. And I think it was nine, but this feels like it's going to be more.
0: Yeah. Cause this is just the trailer. Yeah. Who knows what we got coming. So <laughs> anyway, I'm still more excited for prodigy now than I am for discovery season four. I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. At this point, I just want to see it, I guess.
1: Yeah, and you will very soon. I think that's it for Comic-Con panels. We got a little bit of uh, an update on Strange New Worlds. We know that they've officially wrapped production. Anson Mount uh, put out a video message for everybody to watch saying that, basically saying we've wrapped officially and saying that the show really happened because of the fans and he's grateful for that and that everything's heading to post and he said it should be out sometime next year and clearly he doesn't know when it's going to air cuz nobody's
0: decided yet If you're confused cuz we did report that it wrapped production in July that was the main unit production where basically they left let most of the people go but then they came back in September to do what's called pickup shots where some of the actors came back And I assume mostly it was on stage stuff as opposed to location because some of the actors were also posting pictures of themselves, rapping, including uh, Ethan Peck um, in full Spock makeup. And now they're done, done before they were mostly done. Now they're really done. Although they've got plenty of time for post-production unless there's a strike. I was
1: going to say, unless everything shuts down, (laughs) which it might.
0: Yeah. That's it for all of our shows. uh, But there is, a bit of legacy Star Trek and merchandise news, which is Brent Spiner has a weird kind of Star Trek book, but not exactly. So, <laughs> Lori, you did the review. Why don't you tell us what's happening?
1: Sure, it's called fan fiction, and he calls it a memoir because it's sort of part memoir, but it's a made-up story that was inspired by real events. So. I I was I had certain expectations. I thought he was I thought it was going to be a little smirky and a little smug. I don't, I just assumed that, and I have to say I was mostly wrong. Like I found it first of all incredibly enjoyable. It's a murder mystery, well not murder mystery. He's being stalked by a fan and it's 1991 shooting Star Trek the Next Generation. So the backdrop is one that is obviously pretty joyful for all of us Star Trek fans. But he, the tone of the book, the way I described it in the review, I said he manages to be self-serving and self-deprecating at the same time with like a pinch of Dashiell Hammett thrown in. So (laughs) the writing style is, you know, he's got these moments where he uses like sort of these old timey fun expressions, but then it's taking place with all Star Trek stuff around it. And he's sort of insecure, but he's also a Hollywood star, which that part is true because he is those things. Um, and I, and I really couldn't stop reading once I started. It's very enjoyable. It's very well-written. Um, and as a special treat, the audiobook is not only produced so that it has, you know, ambient sounds and sound effects and things, but he got his next generation cast members to come be themselves.
0: Or, or versions of them versions of themselves.
1: Yes. Yes. Versions of themselves. Well, they sound pretty good. They're very good at being (laughs) versions of themselves.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that when someone asked Brent to write a memoir, he said, no, I want to write a fake memoir. Because whenever you interview him, it's very difficult getting a straight answer out of him. He's, you know, he's always got a joke. And he did that web series back when everyone was doing like, shows where they're playing a version of himself, you know, on Showtime or HBO. And I think he wanted to do one too. So he made one called Fresh Hell. It was okay. You know, it was basically, he was playing a version of Brent Spiner. So I, I get it. That's his shtick. He'd rather be a fictional Brent Spiner than the real Brent Spiner.
1: You know, the thing is, though, that there are these moments that he remembers throughout the book from his childhood with sociopathic stepfather named Saul who is a real person so I, I'm assuming that all that stuff is very much based in truth and it makes him quite vulnerable and was moving so he really did I think weave in some reality and, and I think the reality of some of his emotions too but then he makes it fun and adds like a hot FBI agent and a weird smelly terrible package and crazy letters although i'm sure the crazy letters are true too you know, the, the thing is you can sort of make a game of trying to guess like wow does he really hate lauren bacall and yes there is a sort of truth to the lauren bacall thing which i read in jordan hoffman's interview with him um in vanity fair but <laughs> so parts it's you can totally have fun trying to guess what happened and what didn't, but the story itself is also fun and his writing takes you along on this great ride. So I, I truly enjoyed it. And I really think that most people will. And I also, I love, I read all of Dashiell Hammett's books years and years ago. I went on a crazy binge. So I like that kind of style too when he slips into it i i
0: i, I do like a hard-boiled detective yeah um, and, and and audiobooks I, 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 we've got a couple audiobook samples on the site and including one with lavar and so you know I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to the audiobook it feels like that's a possibly certainly for me it'll be a better way to absorb the book because i just prefer that in general but just getting all their voices in there cuz he performs this version of Brent very well. Yes. That he
1: <laughs> He does he does a great job in the audiobook cuz I read it and I listened to a lot of sections of the audiobook. Um and everybody does a great job. I mean, you know, they're playing weird versions of themselves, but he really carries it. He's a great narrator. Like he could do other books too.
0: So, let's move on to Star Trek Lower Decks.
1: <gasps> the last episode of season 2, First First Contact.
0: I really I loved it. It was a great season finale. It was very different than the season one finale. But just as action-packed, I thought a bit more heart, more character moments, and the production values throughout this thing, it wasn't just a kind of a climactic third act. It was, you know, the music and the effects and everything was spot on from the very early on and really well-paced. There may have been episodes that I liked better this season because you know th- in a way this it didn't have a lot of you know laugh out loud funny moments as you know we've talked about this in some other episodes where they decide not to go for the big laughs because I think they really wanted to have a great Star Trek season finale. so there were laughs there, but it wasn't a kind of rip roaring hilarious episode.
1: Well, I think that's what they did. Like, I agree with you. I thought the visuals were astonishing. Like, I think it was the best-looking episode so far. And I thought it was a great season finale because it resolved some things. The stakes were big. There was a nice twist at the end, and they planted stuff for next season. So I feel like that's what a finale is supposed to do. And it was a great story, and there was a lot going on.
0: And I liked how... Because in Star Trek, one of the digs on Star Trek, which I think is fair, is that in order to create stakes and to create action, it usually involves shooting things and battles. And we, that's kind of how they ended up with Season 1, right? With the Battle of the packlets and you had the Titan coming in, and that was all very exciting and cool. And in this case, they could do just as much excitement and action, and but have it all be... Kind of sciency and not a battle, you know, against a bad guy, but just dealing with an emergency. You know, it was essentially a natural disaster kind of, you know, like a like with all those '70s movies, like Earthquake and The Towering Inferno, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was this uh, anomaly, and you know, and uh, it was that was great. And I really liked how, in the end, it was because you know. Some people made fun of me, but I always, something bugged me about the last season finale in that in order to create the Riker moment, you have to essentially set it up where the Cerritos needed to be saved. And in this case, the Cerritos is the one doing the saving, saving the big, important capital ship. The really, I mean, that ship was just, the Archimedes was insanely large.
1: It was very large.
0: You know that I I liked how you know the scrappy little ship saves the big giant important ship.
1: No, and also like they, you know, basically they everybody craps on California class ships, right? Like we've come across this before, and they're all it was all about everybody loving the ship and being great at their jobs. Like this, yeah. it was sort of redeemed everybody and the ship itself.
0: I loved when Billups just kind of lost his shit. <laughs> <laughs> and when he was told that this was kind of a weird thing so the premise is that the captain has to leave the ship or you know because she got the promotion she's wanted since the second the first episode of the second season where where she and husband admiral were talking about her getting a promotion and but that means he has to leave the california ship and for some reason the admiralty doesn't like to break up California class crews. And so everyone has to stay except her. And uh, Billups just lost it when he heard that. You know about
1: Yeah, I, I wrote in my notes, Billups defends California class emotionally.
0: <laughs> very emotionally. Everyone was like, oh my God. But everyone, yeah, you're right. Everyone had a hero moment in this episode. So they're, they're making sure to spread things around I was surprised, you know, like, Boimler had some great stuff, but he didn't really have much. Of, I think, like, in a weird way, Boimler's, for the last few episodes, has been kind of done. He's kind of where he needs to be now. Boimler's good, right? In his his headspace. But Mariner still had some work well, to do.
1: Boimler still puts his focus on not the most important thing like his obsession with the captain freeman day banner was i mean it was great it was very very funny but it's telling you that yeah he's still he still has his blind spots i guess and that hasn't changed that's
0: more a foible than a character problem that needs to be resolved that's just his you know youthful enthusiasm that he hasn't lost even though he still has the confidence now that he needs and the capability that he needs. I think there was a lot of character stuff for Tendi and Rutherford, who I think are the standout characters for the episode, for sure. Yep, I agree. And Mariner had a lot of work to do. The captain, you know, Captain Freeman was more prominent in this episode than any other episode. This was a very traditional Star Trek episode where it was very captainy. Yep. You know, that that makes sense in a season finale, especially, although there was so much Captain Freeman in this and they best of both worlds us at the end with Captain Freeman being taken <laughs> off the ship that I'm now, you know, I mean, they've at least made it seem possible that she's not coming back. Right. Even though I imagine she is. Of course she's coming back. The stakes definitely were there and are still there. So all of that worked.
1: Let's talk about the big thing that didn't work. There was one really big thing that didn't work. And I was very disappointed.
0: So, Mike has talked about bringing back legacy characters. And I'm glad, you know, because he said we're going to do deeper cuts, right? And this, so for this one, they brought back Sonia Gomez. And there's a beautiful poetry to bringing back Sonia Gomez because she was very much a Boimler of the USS Enterprise D kind of. You know, enthusiastic, overly enthusiastic. She spilled the hot chocolate on Captain Picard every She's kind of lovable. And having her be a captain is beautiful, right? That's nice. But they brought back the original actress. And, you know, of, of course. But I just don't feel like she was good at voice acting. And yeah it could have been because they were you know recording during the pandemic she hasn't worked a lot in recent years but i didn't get a lot of inflection or emotion there are moments there were these scenes with where it was just her and the guy playing her first officer and you're getting a lot more from the first officer guy you know who's just one of their staple of voice actors than you are from her
1: i mean i looked her up so she hasn't done any Acting like IMDb listed acting since about 2008, I think I saw. And she's been a journalist and doing all kinds of things. So I think, like, one, she's been out of the acting loop. And then two, voice acting is a whole other thing. And she just, she did not deliver. I mean, I think I just found her very bland. I think you had even bigger issues because you've, because for me, there were things that were just kind of flat.
0: It 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 hit the wrong tone. Like she's supposed to be friends with Freeman, but when she's talking to you don't sense the friendship when she's talking about how Captain Freeman's gonna have to leave the ship and say goodbye and it almost seemed callous. Um but the thing about acting is they always say acting is reacting, but when you're in a sound booth you're not reacting because there's no one there's no one there. And sure there may be some faceless guy behind the glass saying the other character's lines, but you know, it's not the same thing. The other thing is, and this really isn't her, this is more the writing. I feel like if they really wanted to nail the poetry of her being there, we should have had a scene with her and Boimler. Or at least her and one of the ensigns. I, I agree with that. Or or
1: do a little throwback, like have her get something from the replicator and say please and thank you, like she did. And cue who which would have been a nice throwback. And when they they tried for a throwback moment and it didn't work.
0: I wonder, because, you know, you and I are super fans. Everyone listening to this podcast is a super fan. Almost everyone probably said, oh, you know, Gomez, I remember that. But I wonder how many just casual fans, people like my brother, who got me into Star Trek and love Star Trek, but are they going to remember a character who was in two episodes just by her name? She looks different. She sounds different. She's now a captain. That was an ensign. Are they going to be able to put it together? Should they have done a kind of, um, you know, I used to be on the Enterprise with Captain Picard or, you know, just kind of remind, poke people and say, oh, that's who she is.
1: I don't know. That's a tough one, because I think a lot of their references, what I like about them is that if you don't know, you can still watch it. And so all you got was, oh, this is kind of a boring character.
0: I guess it's just hard to judge because we're all like, well, of course, everyone remembers who Sonia Gomez is. But, you know, that's because we're super Star Trek fans. Um, Right.
1: I always remembered her. I mean, she was a very memorable character to me. Certain ones. But, you know, we were talking about this, uh, you know, the Trek movie gang and stuff. And we were saying, like, another good choice would have been Robin Leffler, which is Ashley Judd. And that it would have also been great to see her as a captain. So, and she's... And they would have gotten a lot of
0: publicity out of that because she's Ashley Judd. Right. Anyway, let's not... She's really... The whole point is she's the MacGuffin, essentially, and her ship, the Archimedes, which was initially misidentified by Paramount Plus publicity as (laughs) um, an Excelsior causing a bit of kerfuffle online. And then Mike McMahon had to go online and say, actually it's not an Excelsior class ship, which it, it isn't exactly because the nacelles are, you know, totally different. They're more like off the Enterprise E, which is a sovereign class. But it, the i think the size is just too big for a. Um, but I thought it looked pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I thought it looked great. I also thought the Cerritos, when they took off all the hull plating, that that visual was fantastic. Also spectacular. Like it looked like it was made of wood or something.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it was an interesting. They, they 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 created a problem for the ship, right? Which was or you know for the whole system which is they had to somehow get to the Archimedes get through this debris field and i could imagine them trying to think of okay so this is a star trek situation a sci-fi situation we need we need to tech the tech to get out of it what do we do and there's that funny conversation on the bridge where the captain goes, let's use the deflector dish. Cause they always use the deflector. like yes, how many different do. ways, you know? And so I think that was definitely them saying, saying, you know, not that again. And so th- this is something we'd never seen before. Cause I imagine they went through different things and realized like, let's try to do something that they've never had to do before. Although I guess, you know, enterprise fans will point there's a, you know, there's the minefield episode where they have to remove pieces of the hull to save the day so there's kind of but i i I don't that's not what what was happening they had to remove all of the hull which is you know a whole different situation
1: and i guess it just floated off into space somewhere is it gonna i was like what are all the where are all those pieces
0: going yeah and what are they made out of you know because if one of those like flew into the atmosphere of that planet you know that could be bad
1: yeah I was <laughs> going to say they... <laughs> problematic, but bad is more direct, yes yeah, definitely
0: <laughs> that'll that'll put a crimp in that first contact, <laughs> yeah you know, I thought it was interesting to learn a little more about the mechanics of a first and a second contact, like is this how it always works where you have the one ship following behind like how how long between first and second contact is there usually um between the cerritos and whatever ship gets to do the first contact, right. <laughs> So my favorite storyline, even though this was so much about the captain and Mariner finally working out their shit and Mariner, because this has been the therapy season for Mariner from the first frame, was her finally letting go and, you know, learning that she needs to let people in. And the ultimate example of that was Jennifer. So it was nice that, you know, Jennifer and her had that moment. And buried the hatchet. And that kind of exemplified how she's f- going to be able to open up a little bit more. All that aside, I think th- the storyline that was most compelling to me, character-wise, was the Tendy and Rutherford. Yeah,
1: same. Same. I love because they're still, they're like dancing around their fairlings for each other by turning them on the Cerritos. I mean, they do love the Cerritos. But it was such a funny moment where he's like can I and he does all these like wonderful romantic things romantic in a way that he does them for her like I'm going to take you around the ship we're going to go to all your favorite places which is a beautiful romantic gesture like it was the
0: perfect date yeah and 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 they go back to the you know the one Jeffrey's tube they were in during the second episode where they watched a pulsar together I mean yeah it was beautiful and you know, but I've said this before, like everyone sees it, but them. Right. I think even Billups, like would Billups, you know, this you know, again, I would, Paul Shear did a great job in the but he had some really funny stuff when he goes crazy, but he had a touching moment where he's like, you know, where he says, son, you know, he's kind of yeah. playing a little bit of a father figure to, you know, saying you've got to learn to make new memories with her. And, you know, cause this whole thing of, of keeping three, Although you know, can't he just erase one of the three backups and have enough room left in his eyepiece? Yeah, was- I mean there were there were
1: some compromises, but obviously, <laughs> uh, but he but you know it was I think it was more the idea of it. Like it was a, like again romantic. He's saving. He's so afraid of forgetting times with her that he's saving three copies of
0: everything. <laughs> yeah, but neither of them. Acknowledge the fact that they're in love with each other. Even though they literally said it. They just replaced the word Cerritos with you.
1: But they, they hugged at that moment. And then when they separated. They were in a very platonic sort of physical position. Talking to each other. So,
0: But even though they can't see that. They see everything else. Because they are the heroes of this episode. It's Rutherford who figures out the whole thing with the plates. Mm-hmm. And... Tendy has a couple great hero moments. Tendy is the one who gets Mariner to give up being a jerk essentially and go yeah. you know she yells at her and says, "We're your family and go take care of things with your mother because Mariner, by the way, your mom's in the middle of a crisis and you're gonna just dump a lot of emotional baggage on your mom yeah. in the middle of a ticking clock crisis. That was a horrible thing for Mariner to do. And Tendy's the one who's like, you gotta fix that now.
1: They're all they're all like, you're nuts. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, Tendy took the lead, but they were all just like, What the hell? Like everybody's kind of had it. Been like, you know, this was all fun, but it's time for you to grow up.
0: Yeah. Um, and and she saw that, which was fine. So Tendi and Rutherford really saved the day in so many ways. They're the ones who see the truth with everything around them except within themselves so that's going to be well and speaking of within themselves there's something you know that talk about a breadcrumb for season three.
1: Oh yeah we need to talk about all the things that happened in his uh memory because there was obviously okay so there's the big one the big memory that he finds that is going to definitely come back to us is I don't even know how to describe it like these obviously his implant was put in for a reason by nefarious people
0: well yeah probably nefarious I mean who knows but probably nefarious well they
1: said what if someone asks why he has it we've programmed that in he'll think it was elective
0: it's probably nefarious because one of them had a British accent and villains often have British accents (laughs) There's definitely something going on there. You know, now, the question is, is that related to the bigger conspiracy that Captain Freeman's now involved in, which got her arrested at the end because of someone obviously blew up Pakled Planet, and they set her up, they framed her when they went on that mission earlier in the season. And remember at the time, I said, why are they going on a peace mission? Aren't they a second contact ship? It seems weird. And obviously someone sent them on that mission as part of this big plan to set her up.
1: So do you think that's connected to to what happened to Rutherford?
0: I, I think maybe. I think that whoever this is, you know, imp- you know, put that thing in him to just keep an eye on the ship. Maybe they're using Rutherford as a spy to, you know, make sure that their plan is working.
1: Could be. That's my theory. I had not connected those things, but, um, but it's quite possible. Just before we, we go away from that moment, though, of memories, did you, I, I know you will, and I don't know if you have yet, slow it down and just keep stopping randomly to see some of the moments that were in there?
0: Oh, all the different moments of Tendy and Rutherford?
1: Yes. There's one where they're in a life drawing class drawing a naked Ransom who's posing for them.
0: <laughs> I mean, most of them were recognizable moments.
1: There were two that stuck out to me, that one. And then there's like, it's New Year's Eve and they have those, you know, those goofy glasses that usually have the year on them, like 2000. Yeah. So it was a 2381, but they were both wearing the goofy glasses. But the drawing, the life drawing class with Naked Ransom definitely caught my eye because he's posing so happily for them. It's very funny.
0: The the thing I focused a lot on was the thing at the end of who are these two guys They're wearing red with a black stripe. Yeah. So it's a different uniform we haven't seen before. It's not a Starfleet uniform. It's not a Section 31 uniform that we know of. We don't know. Could be anything. Speaking of Rutherford and his plan for success, he brought us someplace that we've heard about before, but we've never seen before. I think a lot of fans are going to be talking about we finally got to visit Cetacean Ops, which was First mentioned in a, in the Star Trek The Next Generation episode. It was in the technical manual. You know, apparently Starfleet ships use cetaceans, which are, you know, dolphins and whales, to help with navigation of ship. And they have tanks on board. You know, and, and they've mentioned it at least a few times on the show. And finally, we got to meet our cetaceans.
1: Yes, one of them is named Matt. One of them is named <laughs> Kimaloo. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like I was just named Matt, Matt. They, were, they were delightful I think they're beluga whales
1: but also it was also that they were playful that they kept well first of all they wanted not only did they want Rutherford to come play with them they wanted him to be naked but <laughs> they wanted him to they were very very playful
0: they definitely want people to come into the tanks and they're a little unclear on how human anatomy works
1: <laughs> like when they wanted to sprinkle water on Boimler
0: right and because his blowhole was not working right but i liked how they have bickering going on and stuff like that so no people are gonna love love the visit to cetacean ops it's going to be the big thing everyone's talking about
1: i liked when boimler asked them if they were doing anything for captain freeman day and they said no that's for calves
0: (laughs) (laughs) boimler definitely has a little bit of growing up to do for sure um he's even getting razzed by the whales. He did say at the end his his kind of cool line to Jennifer was once you've um almost drowned in whale pee you let the little the small things slide or something like that. And she liked it. I think Jennifer and Boimler could be a thing.
1: Maybe. Now that she's in, now that she's in with the gang.
0: Yeah, but you never know how long that lasts. Jet uh-huh. was in with the gang and then immediately rejected. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll see. But Jennifer is no longer the enemy. Right. Right. She in was fact, cool. in, that,
1: in that opening scene where she's, you know, and Mariner literally run into bump into each other and have that first sort of fight, the way that when Jennifer said, like, I don't think about you at all. I actually felt like a little emotion. I thought she sounded hurt when she said that, even though she was trying to sound tough. I thought she sounded hurt.
0: Well, no one really wants an enemy. No one wants to be randomly fighting someone and it and it seemed obvious that they were fighting and at odds over nothing. There was really no reason at all. Which I think they both realized at the end. I also liked how her spacesuit had little extra room for her <laughs> yes. antenna.
1: Was I like It's nice. That yeah. Lots makes of sense. really lots of good details in this one.
0: They really pay attention on this show to the little things. Um we got to see the captain's yacht. It's not our first captain's yacht because we got one in Insurrection, but it was the first one on the show. Although we didn't get to see what she calls her captain's yacht. So, or did you notice that? Because I was looking to see if there was a name anywhere on the walls or on it, and we didn't see it. Yeah, I
1: didn't see anything. I didn't see anything.
0: I know we're jumping from topic to topic, but something that I thought the music on the show is generally good, but in this episode, it was especially good and it wasn't relying too much on familiar stings There's a lot of really good original cinematic action music and then would switch up for the more quiet scenes and i just i really think that it was fantastic
1: yeah i agree i thought i thought it was an excellent uh an excellent season finale full of great stuff um really well done do you have a favorite lines from
0: this one something we haven't mentioned yet but i feel like we should which is tendy had another subplot she was the thing with rutherford but her real subplot was obsessing about the fact that she thought was she was being fired which is why she and gonna get kicked off the ship by dr donna because she misunderstood something and in the end donna said she's only being removed from medical because she feels like she should be And advanced um, science training to be on the bridge, and so Tendi goes to work on the bridge like Jadzia Dax, and uh, Tana goes, "Who the who the fuck is that?" (laughs) (laughs) And then she goes, "Like Spock, yeah." You know, so uh, (laughs) I really (laughs) well because I think that's. I I mean, in a way, I feel like the show is. Maybe poking fun of itself because it's constantly, you know, Boimler and everyone are constantly referring to these characters. As if Everyone knows who the second officer of a space station, you know, Odo and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, so not everybody knows all of these characters. Dr. Yeah. Tannister d- doesn't care who, you know, Chudzi and Dax is. And that's fine. But she's heard of Spock because everyone's heard of Spock.
1: I also like that when they finally hugged, she started purring.
0: Yeah, they've really catted her up quite a bit um, (laughs) this season.
1: I have a couple of favorite lines. Go ahead. So I, I really loved uh, Mariner's description of the Captain Whatever Day as a vanity holiday designed to trick kids into respecting authority. But my favorite thing she said was when they were talking about Tendy and Boimler, like, and when the captain leaves, you know, you stand there and you clap when they leave the ship for the last time. And then Mariner says, it sounds like betrayal, but with clapping. <laughs> <laughs> So I think those were my favorites. And Shaq saying, you're lucky I'm so spiritually centered or I'd snap. I think those were my big favorites. <laughs> but there was a lot of good stuff in here. And I liked i liked, they had a couple of good throwbacks to previous episodes. Like at one point, Billup says, dragon's blood. And uh, Boimler sees the koala in his little yep. death experience. So I thought all that's, that's... I love when they do those things because it just you know, keeps a nice thread going through the show.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're building up enough of their own canon that they can be doing their own callbacks now, for sure. Both for laughs, but also, you know, for important plot things. Like, when they were showing the evidence for her blowing up the Pac-Led planet, they had, like, pictures of her with the Packled spy with his Cerritos t-shirt on and stuff <laughs> like that. But, you know, by the, I mean, that is kind of serious. Like someone blew up a planet. That's genocide. That's not funny. So uh, I'm not laughing at that. Yeah. No. So I
1: think I think they've done a really good job of of doing dramatic stories and having comedy. So and I feel like the thing you've been saying is true like this. They have a confidence now. And so they're they're taking bigger risks and doing bigger things, and I I think it's all working really well, and they've they've ramped up I think at just the right pace.
0: I mean, we've talked about this episode at a high level, season one versus season two. I mean, I feel like season you know I, I liked season one; it got better as it went along. I feel like season two has been strong from start to finish. You know, the second half they've gotten more experimental they've they've ramped things up, but. You know, it's not necessarily better in the second season, second half of second season. All of season two has been good. There was that one episode which had some issues in it, but it was still not a bad episode entirely. Just, you know, but overall, really happy with season two. The show's just getting better and better. And I couldn't be happier with Star Trek Lower Decks.
1: Yep, I agree. I'm willing to go wherever they want to take me. Take me some more fun. I'll go with you. So I am looking forward to season three. Whenever that will be.
0: Which we know they're well into work on that. They've started, you know, voice a long time ago. So I could easily imagine that showing up in August of 2022, if not before then. Um, It's just that there's so much Star Trek, you know, in the pipeline now that they'll they'll probably just wait until August anyway.
1: Yeah, I think so. But I'm, I'm looking forward to it for sure. It's great. They've definitely, you know, proved themselves pretty quickly. And I think they just keep getting better. So let's wrap this up.
0: Okay, so what's your bit of the week?
1: Mine is, it's very random. It's an article that was on a site called Polygon by Joshua Rivera. And he wrote an article, The Good Fight is the Star Trek of Legal Dramas. Now, I have I love The Good Fight, and I've said it before. I think it's one of the best written shows on TV right now. But basically, he talked about the ways in which they're similar and the main, I, I won't describe the whole article because I want people to go read it, but he talked about how they both do big ideas. They embrace big ideas with reckless abandon. Like we'll, we'll jump into crazy. big thoughts all of a sudden shift gears in the middle. Cause they've decided to do something else. They have the perfect crew. They look at big issues. They get very playful in other ways. And They're constantly trying new things. And his main point is that both shows and Star Trek, I guess, more as a franchise, treat the audience in and like they're adults, but also throw in some like ridiculousness in the middle. So I really I'm paraphrasing and it's not doing it justice. So I'm just going to put up a link and go read it. And I hope everybody goes to watch The Good Fight because it's really a great show and you've already got Paramount Plus. So do it.
0: You keep on telling me I just that my list of things to watch are is so long, I, I could never get caught up, but I definitely need to check out this show.
1: You'll love the way that they do politics because they have a clear point of view of which side they're on, but they do make everybody look kind of ridiculous. So they get very playful with it and they tackle some really big issues like race and all kinds of things in a... Utterly surprising way, which, again, is very Star Trek-like. Like, Like they find a way to create a certain situation that you wouldn't expect. And then they're like, so now what do you think?
0: So my bit is just a tiny bit of Star Trek history. I always love learning new things about Star Trek. And uh, this came on an interview this week with Clint Howard and Ron Howard, who have released a book about their life together in Hollywood um, called The Boys. And it is on the Seth Meyers show. And even though they only had, you know, a few minutes, Seth brought up Star Trek and they pulled out this picture of Clint as Baylock. But, you know, it was a cool behind the scenes pic of this like poor little seven year old boy on the set. And, they you know, they were talking about what it was like and how he was refusing to get his head shaved. They wanted to shave his head.
1: Yeah, his dad said no. That's what I, I remember reading about that.
0: Could you imagine, you know, being a kid in school with shaved head? I mean, it's cool that you're an actor at Star Trek, but it's not cool having a shaved head. So he said
1: no. Yeah, more I can imagine Gene Roddenberry going, just shave his head. And everybody going, uh, he's- It's a I kid. Know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'm, I'm just a big fan of Clint and Ron Howard. So yeah, just-
1: I want to get their book. I bet it's great. Yeah. it's
0: on my list
1: <laughs> with all the shows that you need
0: to watch <laughs> it's a long list so that's it for another week of all access star trek and that's it for lower decks um we're gonna have a couple weeks until we start up with prodigy but we'll still have an episode next week to talk about something new
1: something star trek
0: yeah why not for a change why not?
1: yeah we just want to change things up every once in a while. All right, so we will see you next week. And in the meantime, please come to the site. Tell us what you think of the podcast. Tell us what you think of the episode. Tell us about dolphins and whales, whatever you like.
0: (laughs) Bye-bye.